Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have my good buddy, Mr. Tyler James, aka First Hand Account, back on the pod with us today. Tyler, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good. Thanks for having me, man. Really uh, appreciate it. So happy to have you back. It's been pff, fucking a crazy, almost a year. It's like been almost a year since our very first episode, like, geez, I don't know, almost a year ago. It's crazy. Yeah, last time we talked, I was sitting in my sister's apartment in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. I hadn't left the house in months. I was terrified of COVID. I, yeah, barely, and, and now I live in Texas, and there's no lockdowns here at all. No one wears a mask, <laughs> and... My life is almost back to normal, unfortunately. That's, that's amazing, number one. But I would love to hear about, like, how, what happened? Like, obviously, huge life change, Minnesota to Texas. Like, what, what happened? How'd you end up there? Yeah, so basically what was happening is uh, I was a starving artist for, like, seven years or so. Starving artist slash starving freelancer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, believed in the uh, false promises and false dream that youtubers sell you that you can just ask your friends and family if they need some photos and build a hundred thousand dollar a year salary <laughs> overnight quit your day job and you'll never go back and you'll make more money freelancing than you ever will at a job and your life will be amazing and it'll be so much easier and you'll have so much less stresses so much more freedom right and I realized for me personally, for some people, those things are true and they get lucky and everything hits at the right time, right when they quit their job, the first time they try it. And it's awesome, right? But we know that most entrepreneurs, it takes them three times mm -hmm. minimum. Um, they don't make money for a while, five years minimum before they start paying themselves a salary, right? For a lot of different industries. So it, it, it doesn't go like that, right? And so I starved and tried to make it as a freelancer for like, like six and a half, seven years. And I definitely still made it. And I still was able to like pay my bills. And, you know, I didn't fail. I was successful in that, but I definitely was starving at the same time and was not comfortable and was not making the amount that I wanted to. And, um, so yeah, at the time that, that we talked, I was starting to switch gears. My sister and I were living together. Um, she was letting me live in her apartment during the pandemic. And I, realized that I only had a few months left on the lease with her and I didn't have anything lined up for after that. So I had to make a decision. Either I was going to keep couch hopping or keep um, or go live with my grandpa or, you know, I could try to apply for jobs and get a steady income so that I could afford, you know, my own place and my own bills and all that kind of stuff. And so I applied to 200 jobs on LinkedIn and yeah, in a two week period. And um, I put my location to the United States. Nice. I like and, that. And uh, I put in, I searched for everything, content creator, content director, content producer, photographer, videographer, um, anything that's, per anything you can do with a camera, right? I, and that I had the skill sets of and the portfolio to show. I applied for any job I could find in the U.S. Obviously, if it was like, you know, photographing lawnmowers in the middle of Nebraska, <laughs> which was a, a listing I saw. It was for John Deere, so it would be a cool company to put on my resume. But I didn't want to move to Nebraska yeah. at all. Uh, so I did not apply for those jobs, right? So I didn't apply for every job I found. I, I just applied for jobs near cities that I think I would want to be in. 
Um, I had never been to Houston or Texas, and so I, I, I saw some listings there and applied to them for, you know, not thinking I was going to get any of them. And I actually got some interviews there and stuff. <laughs> so, That's but. sick, man. So what are you actually doing now as your job? Like, what is your, what are you doing? Yeah, so right now I'm a content director or creative director at a multifamily investment company in Houston called Rockstar Capital. Basically what they do is they buy and operate and sell multifamily properties in the greater Houston area or Texas in the Texas so far. Um, we're going to branch out to other states soon, but they have over like $440 million of real estate in their portfolio. So we just hit like 4,200 units or something like that so, under management. Um, we have our own management company that manages all those properties. So all the property managers, leasing agents, maintenance professionals, I can et guess who they are. Um, it's <laughs> Texas. It's so funny, dude, because this is literally the company that, not the actual company, but the the career that I was doing before I got laid off during COVID. I was working for Seriously? a real estate investment trust in New York City. You know we know a lot of same people. Yeah, that uh, owned and operated about 7,500 apartments throughout the U.S. and Florida, Texas, Homeland Yards. And yeah, I was I was their asset manager in charge of new development. And uh, I was there Dude, for- Dude, I know exactly what asset management does because yeah, I work with them on I was, the content. I was there for six glorious, horrible months and then <laughs> canned. Yeah, that's funny, man. How do you like it? So I really like it personally. Like, I feel like I lucked out. I feel like I got the dream job type thing. Mm -hmm. um, literally in my interview, they said, pick, they said, tell me a number. And I said, what do you mean tell you a number? And they were like, a number that will get you to move here tomorrow. And I was like, I don't know, man, this number, right? Like, thinking like, that's such no a crazy, way. yeah. Yeah, there's no way, dude. They're going to negotiate, but there's no way. And they were like, done. So can you come tomorrow? And I was like, I'll start packing up my car today. I don't think I can pack it all up by tomorrow, but in the next two days, I'll start driving. And they were like, awesome. Let us know what hotels you stay at. Um, keep all your gas receipts and your hotel receipts, and we'll reimburse it all when you come. And um, yeah, so... When they said that, I was like, I'm literally stupid if I don't take this opportunity. For right? sure. Even if I hate Houston, if I don't at least do this for a year Houston's or two. Houston's great. I, I personally yeah, love Houston. Yeah. Love Houston. Yeah. Fell in love with the city. But yeah, so that's that's basically what I do. I oversee all the content for them. All the photo and video is mainly what I do, but I make a lot of Canva stuff. I make some brochures. I make some... Um, I, over, I oversee it, so I outsource some stuff, too. So if we need, like, a T-shirt, I'll find an artist and source an artist locally, send them a, a design idea, refine it with them, and then I'll get it put on a – get it vectorized and then get it put on a T-shirt, get the T-shirts ordered. So it's some marketing stuff as well because I'm in the marketing department, but most of what I do is responsible for, like, photo and video content. Um, yeah. So That's awesome. They're, they're in a unique situation because the CEO has, like, 200,000 Instagram followers and he's wow. like um, he's like a Grant Cardone, Gary V, that type of influencer, right? Mm -hmm. So like Grant Cardone knows him and is friends with him and like I met Grant Cardone mm. when Grant was in Houston cuz he came to the office. What do you and, think? Um interesting who, guy. Grant? Yeah, very interesting guy. I mean, we all we all feel that way at the company too like you can't deny what he's done, sure. right? Yeah. He's super quirky. 
he's super there is only one grant cardone thank god um, <laughs> yeah thank god there's some great things about him there's some rough things about him yeah but he's you know gonna be a billionaire he has over four billion in real estate and you can't deny that like no no i don't think he's like so, a nefarious person um yeah i have like a super love hate with a lot of these guys and like i love yeah. like i love gary v and then like six months from now i'll be like really turned off by something right and i yeah. think grant and gary differ greatly in that G- gary wants to see everyone be successful and grant wants yes. to tell you how he became successful and why he's successful and how if yeah. you only do what he does you will do the same thing and that's just like not a pragmatic way to look at life or right. or like what you <laughs> accomplished like you're an accomplished individual you were able to create generational wealth for your family not everyone right. is going to be able to do it the grand cardone way and uh, yeah. i think that's like how they they differ greatly as <laughs> you know that entrepreneur leader space etc oh yeah um, yeah like i i personally follow gary v right me too I, I didn't i didn't personally follow grant cardone before i needed to for this job yeah, yeah that's fair <laughs> uh, that's, <laughs> that's really funny um so, so you've been at the gig for like what nine or ten months or so now uh six months six months six right months. okay yeah so it was like a yeah. little bit after we chatted um yeah so that's yeah. that's pretty sick man I, I mean i think it's super funny that there's like this sort of cyclical kind of nature of life like of how you go through like this healing phase and then now you're onto like this whole new you know bigger better kind of you know uh season of your life so to speak um yeah we're obviously super close to a new year um, what do you like have yourself looking at in terms of like career wise and then like personal, you know, work wise, you know, photography wise, like how, like you envision kind of your 2022 going? Yeah. I mean, right now. So, so immediate plan is in January, my, my newest zine will finally be released Woo-hoo! probably mid January. I'm thinking like January 14th, 15th, something like that. Um, just enough time after the holiday season where everybody's paid their bills and <laughs> they have their Christmas money yeah. and they have, they've returned their Christmas gifts and maybe they have some money back nice. that they can use mm-hmm. on something or, um, so yeah, it's probably going to come out then it's called the growing road and it's about that, a 20 day road trip I went on, um, where I filmed a docu-series called the story of art in America. I think I might have talked about it. Last time I was on, or I, I might have. I not don't remember. About you might. Them. You might have been alluding to it. I remember you saying you had something coming, and I think that must have been it. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So I in that LinkedIn search, right when I was applying for jobs, as I was interviewing with the company that I got hired for, I got another gig. I saw this listing for a director of photography position on an Amazon Prime docu series called "The Story of Art in America." So I applied again, not thinking that I was going to get it right. Sidebar for anyone out there listening, if you're looking for a job or you're looking to get a promotion and your company won't give you a promotion, like literally apply for jobs you don't have the credentials or the skill sets or qualifications for. But if you have most of them, apply to them on LinkedIn and you never know because your personality is way more important than three more trainable skills. Mm-hmm. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. So, so I agree, yeah, so, I agree um, with that greatly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Bedside manner. You can't teach, right? If you have an amazing bedside manner, you'll get hired over any or work ethic more. or work ethic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, um, so you so got yeah, hired so as I, a director I, of photography for a, for a documentary. Yeah. So I, I got hired not thinking I would get it. And, and that it was an amazing opportunity. I was like, dude, let's do it. So, 
it started in Seattle. Then we went to Everett, Washington. Then we went to Great Falls, Montana. Then we went to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Then we went to Sheridan, Wyoming and Casper, Wyoming, mm-hmm. interviewing a bunch of different artists. I interviewed over 60 artists. So I set up and tore down lights and cameras and flags and everything for 60 interviews in a row, which was amazing, amazing practice. And by the end, I, I literally was making stuff where I was like, this looks better than the Netflix documentary interview that I just saw. Like, That's sick, man. Like I was, I, I, I definitely got really good at just setting up like two camera, like talking head interviews. <laughs> That's but, sick. Um, but yeah, we met 60 artists from all different walks of life, all different ages met a bunch of native american artists i was allowed to go onto the coeur d'alene like tribes land so wow. we we were allowed like private access to like special permission to um talk to a bunch of like elders in the tribe and go to the tribe and um saw teepees and like um i held an eagle feather which was like insane because like you're not supposed to do that but they let me do that which is cool um they didn't give me an eagle feather because they that's for sure no no yeah, yeah but uh but yeah so it was it, it was an amazing experience in um the and director how, how long were you doing that 20 days straight so so i went on that for 20 days i came back to minnesota i was in minnesota for two days or three days packed up my entire car and then left to texas wow <laughs> yeah wow that's crazy, yeah. man. Yeah. Talk about like a wildly like unsettled year of your life. Like, holy yeah, shit. Dude. I mean, that's crazy. But like, I love it. I thrive in the uncomfort. Like, I'm happiest when everything is going wrong and everything is like changed, right? Like my environment, the people I have to interact with every day, like where I'm sleeping, like all these comforts just all of a sudden get ripped away from you and become different. And especially on the docuseries, it was like, every like week or every three days we were like in a new location, new hotel, new. Um, so that's when I'm like in that chaos, that's when I'm calm. Yeah. When I'm, <laughs> when I'm most busy, when I have like the least amount of time to like think about things is when I'm like most effective as a human being. Like yeah. give me like no time to prep, no ability to think and I'm going to crush it. But if yeah, I've got pressure. like, yeah, if I've got like weeks or months to plan something, I'm like, gonna fuck it up can't do it you know yeah, imposter I'm still syndrome. not gonna do anything yeah till it happens yeah. when it happens i'll figure it out while it's going which is what i always do 100 <laughs> percent. that's crazy man so you've been in texas for six months you've got this awesome job making good money very happy um you did an amazing docuseries you're putting the finishing touches on a zine fucking crushed 2021 man thanks man yeah i appreciate it are you happy are you doing well I, I am very happy now. I am doing very well now, but it's 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 very conflicting for sure because I look at 2021 and what I accomplished and I'm super proud. I look at where I was emotionally and how I felt through that whole process. And there were definitely times of happiness and calm. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to spin some web that it was that I was depressed that whole year or anything like that, but there was a lot of pain, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm at a point in my life where I don't have as much pain, right? I'm comfortable, which scares me. Mm-hmm. I have a really comfortable salary. I don't ha- feel the need to go shoot personal work every day like I used to. And 
or post every day. I haven't posted on Instagram in months, in over six months, right? I love That's that. really new for me, right? And like, I feel calm and comfortable. But now I look at the work I'm producing. And now I look at what I'm accomplishing when it comes to my personal development as an artist, as, as a cinematographer, as a documentary filmmaker, as a photographer, right? Like, and I look at those areas and I've basically not done anything. And my friends around me have told me like, dude, don't beat yourself up for that because everyone deserves a break. You can't go and go and go and just struggle and work and struggle and work. You eventually have to be happy and calm and not do work and enjoy life and enjoy the fruits of your labor a little bit. Then you can go back to doing that. Once pain hits again, you know it's time and you're about to grind again, right? And so I'm, I'm like – trying my best to convince myself of that and not beat myself up for not because I'm not used to not hurting all the time. I'm not used to having mental clarity and having control over my mental illnesses and not having the stress of wondering where my next paycheck is going to come and if I can make that next bill payment or like not having that stress is amazing. But at the same time, it's like, did I need that stress? Did that stress make my work better? It did, right? Mm. Like, and some people say, like, you know, I always say that, said that to my friends when they like went through trauma and they're an artist. I'm like, bro, you know, though, <laughs> like, I know you're crying and hurting right now and like you lost your dog or whatever. Like, and I would be crushed, but you know, you're about to create some crazy level artwork. Like, this is going to be insane for your art, dude. I know. And, while they're crying, they smile and chuckle because they know that to be true as well. Dude, it's like, funny. You, you touched on like some super important things that I think are wildly important. Like the duality of like life can be going really well and also you can be in pain and life can be going really poorly and you can also be like super happy and comfortable. Like, you, you know, work, your work-life balance doesn't have to always be in sync for you to feel that way, right? Like work could be going really yeah. good and you could be miserable. Work could be really bad and you could be happy. Um, and I'm also like super happy that you haven't posted on Instagram in a while. Um, I was talking to, uh, Jason Roman. I don't know if you know stock easy on, uh, Instagram. So he was on the podcast yeah. uh, a couple weeks ago or months ago. I don't even know when it was now. And he said something that was like super important for me as a photographer. He was like, dude, he's like, I'm a photographer. He's like, I know I've got a lot of, uh, Instagram followers. He's like, but if I stop posting on Instagram or Instagram disappears tomorrow, like I'm still doing the job, right? Like I'm still taking photos. I'm still producing work. I'm still doing my job. And for a while, I was extremely, extremely guilty of chasing more followers, more interactions, more praise, more digital love that has absolutely no bearing on the things that I produce. I got so caught up in how many likes something got or how well-received or ill-received something was that I did that I didn't even stop for a second to realize, fuck, I'm doing the thing that I want to be doing. Like, I'm I'm doing it. And everyone gets wrapped up into that, the emotions of social media, right? It's engineered for that dopamine and serotonin. I know. Unfortunately, true. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, but dude, you just not, like, not 100% your fault. <laughs> yeah, you, you just touched upon it, so many amazing things that like I, I like fully feel to my core are just like so imperative to like living a healthy life. Like I have had like a wildly like uh, I, I had a podcast that I did by myself the other day. It's like happy but discontent, right? So like I wake up every morning, I'm extremely happy and blessed to be the person and the human being that I am living the life that I'm living. Yeah, but I'm not doing enough, right? 
Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not working enough. I'm not shooting yeah. enough. I'm not blah, blah, blah. Yes. It's happy, but discontent. And then yes. I, yes. Had, I had to like realize like, that's like pretty much life, right? It's like very, yeah. there's going to be very few instances in the entire rest of my life where I'm going to both be happy and content. Like getting, yeah. being able to marry a positive work environment life and a positive life environment at the same time is not easy. It's not no. common. You're going to get good stretches and bad stretches. And it's never consistent. It's never <laughs> consistent. And I think I think for me, because I've had such a weird year, year and a half of life, like understanding that I can be both happy and not content where I'm at has been such a relief for me. Um, Definitely. And, and I'm curious because, you know, you haven't, you know, worked, you know, done personal work in a while. Like you said, you don't feel the need to go out anymore. So explain mm-hmm. to me like how this like super, super consistent life from a work perspective is now, I would say it's almost loosening you up to be more productive as a personal work person. But like, talk to me about kind of like how your, you know, work life balance and work from personal work is kind of working with each other. <laughs> Say work, yeah. say work again, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Like it's honestly been hard to manage. And that's another reason why I've, I've kind of not posted on Instagram as much as I'd like to. Like I, I didn't take a six month break because I, I wanted to right? like, I, I it's more like, I don't want to get back into it. Cause I don't, I, I don't feel I can be consistent if I went back. Right. And if I just post once every three months or six months, like that's okay too. But you know, if I really wanted to go back to it and post, like if I'm going to post, I want to go and go full in and like go back to being consistent, maybe a few times a week or, you know, and try to start building the following again or doing whatever I was doing before. Um, but um, it's been hard to manage, like to balance the work life, you know, balance yeah. because um, yeah. this new job is like extremely demanding. And I love that because I'm so busy all the time. But like, like today I was at, today I filmed something for two hours this morning and then I was editing that thing to get delivered like an hour or two after that. Then I, then I loaded my car up with computers and printers and scanners, brought them to a new property we're acquiring to replace all the hardware that they had with new stuff that we were buying. Um, so I set up two computers, a scanner, like I set up all the email accounts. I made the backgrounds, like the corporate background, like, and those things sound very simple, but they add up when it's, you it's know, setting up a TV and getting it connected to the coaxial cable. And like, I mean, it just adds up, right? Mm-hmm. Getting the printer set up, getting the printer connected to the Wi-Fi, getting the printer drivers added on both computers. Right. And so I'm helping them with it because they pay me a lot. And so they, they ask me for a lot, which is why I don't ever push back on it, right? Like, and if they hire, if they ask their IT company to do what I did today, it would be thousands of dollars mm-hmm. a la carte on top of what we already pay a month, and we already pay thousands of dollars a month, right? So they're they're like saving thousands of dollars by just sending me over there in the afternoon to do it for them because I know how to do it and then they don't need to hire the IT department, right? So I'm doing like filming, I'm doing editing, I'm doing like content management i'm doing like i'm helping the the social media manager person with uh, or the marketing manager with the social media aspect of it and like because i have more experience than she does on that even though she's the marketing manager and um and so i'm having to do so many different things which i love because i never know what i'm going to do next like 
I might have to make a new backdrop for like the podcast studio that we put on these Samsung TVs. And then the next thing I might have to do is like a graphic. Then I might have to shoot a video with someone. Then I might have to go to uh, an event and shoot photos. And then I might have to go like, and it's just always different, which I love, but it's so much work and the editing piles up and they don't want the content to die. But most of the time they fill my days with stuff during the day. Yeah. So I have to tell them like, just in what we filmed today, we're looking at like 10 hours of video editing because we filmed like three or four videos today. Right. So I need to spend the whole day tomorrow. That's only like eight hours of my day tomorrow is only eight out of 10 hours of editing. Right. So mm -hmm. it's going to take that plus another morning for me to get through it. And they're like, no, tomorrow we want you to film a bunch of stuff again or you know take photos that's what right? happens when you're working a job of three people right <laughs> exactly yeah. so i'm having to work at home a lot and like work on my spare time and like work 60 hour weeks sometimes and like i love it because i love being busy and it's what i love to do but um it definitely i have to keep reminding myself that it's okay that my i'm not working on my personal work as much right now um and part of part of like me having peace with that too is the fact that like I just finished two projects, right? I finished the growing road. I was forced to finish the growing road on the last day of the road trip because it was only on the road trip. So I had 20 days to make it, which was awesome. And if anyone's ever looking to do a project and they don't, they don't know how to go about it, put a time limit on it for your first project. Dude, Be like 20 days and that's it. I have been working on my 2020 road trip zine for <laughs> a year and a half. <laughs> I have yes, just thousands exactly. of fucking photos. I'm like, oh, does this get included? Does this get included? Well, exactly. this 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 scan is not high enough, so I got to rescan that negative. I got to go through thousands of negatives to find this one and rescan it because I shot mostly film. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. Um, so I okay. So not to segue, but I found that what I learned from these business guys, right? These Gary V. Grant Cardone guys, right? They say work your way backwards, right? I want to be a billionaire owning this much real estate, right? Yeah. Start there and then work your way back, right? So there's a really – Sorry to interrupt you. There's a really oh. good book that I read earlier this year. I'm pretty sure the title is Start at the Ending, which is nice. the premise of exactly what you're saying. It's basically nice. like, okay, I want to be John Mayer's tour photographer. How do I get there? And then you start where you want to end and work your way back. And because if you know where you're going, you know what you have to do in between to get to the place that you want to be. It's a exactly. very, it's a very, 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 very pragmatic place to be. Yeah, it doesn't always work that way. <laughs> yes, like for very instance, true. like I really, really, really believe that I can shoot the cover of Vogue. I have it yeah. on like my bucket list of photography things. So in the interim of me being able to be afforded the opportunity to do that. I did something this year was I put myself in for a job as an assistant for a very famous photographer. I don't know if I got selected or not The I'm going to find out after the new year, but it's like, okay. I would never have like, I would never have thought of one of the ways to get to the thing at the end is to start at the bottom of someone who's already done it 57 times. Right. Yeah. So it is a very, very, very pragmatic place to start. It is yeah. also certainly not always that easy <laughs> definitely oh for sure and the same the same struggles or the same roadblocks can come up even when you do that process right mm -hmm. but for me like 
I started at the I started at the final point first, and that's what helped me get the zine done and get the first copy done, which I have the first copy sitting next to me, um, and I just need to order you know the fifty. I'm doing a batch of fifty. Um, that's how many editions there there will be. But um, so I started at the end. I'm like, what do I want the zine to look like? What color do I want the cover to be? Right? The color of the cover immediately indicated what photos would pair well with it from this from the trip. Mm. Right it cut out like so many that wouldn't fit because it wasn't the same color family. And I'm like, okay, cool. So that narrowed that down. Okay. I have, you know, thousands of photos I took in 20 days and film photos too. How many film ones do I want? How many, like, you know, I want some film ones in there for sure. I want some digital ones in there for sure. There's when I sequence the work, I notice that there's always work that's beautiful and pretty, but also is relevant because it's on the trip. Right. Mm -hmm. Those are like, oh, I know this is going to go in, right? Then you have those photos that aren't that great photographically. Maybe compositionally it's off. Maybe the lighting's not very interesting. Maybe it's pretty flat. It's a cloudy day. But informationally, it says a lot about you. It says a lot about you on the trip. It says a lot about the trip. It's information that the reader needs to know visually to understand the story of what you're – the story that you're telling, Right in this project and you want to tell a story. So that indicated to me like, okay, I, I need photos. I need some photos in there that aren't the best photos, but say something mm -hmm. right. And indicate what I'm saying in this book. So then deciding like how many pages I want it to be. Right. I looked online. I'm like, how many, how many pages do I want it to be? When I was researching how many pages I want it to be, I came across um, I came across, it was either Joel Merowitz or Bruce Davidson, and they were talking about photo books, right? And this is what they said in the, in this podcast. They said, they said, Joel Merowitz's retrospective book of his entire set, like life of photography. 50 years. 50 years, 75 photographs. Wow. So, wow. If you're saying that on your trip at your level of photography with your experience level that you can say more with more photos than he did in 75 for 50 years, then you, of course, deserve to put more than 75 photos in. So then, of course, I immediately knew, OK, 75 is definitely way too much because <laughs> that's the number that he, he did right for yeah. 50 years. So I, I still wanted to put a lot of photos in there. I still loved a lot of photos in there. So I think it ended up still being like 55 photos, right? I, w I was trying to get it to like 50 pages or 50 photos, right? But I, I needed more information. I wanted to tell a story and I didn't want every photo to be impactful. In Joel's book, he wanted every single photo to be impactful and strong. Compositionally, story, like the lighting, the color, every element artistically he wanted to come together perfectly in every one of those images in the way that he wanted it to come together right those are those bangers that we talk about <laughs> in our generation right and so like if you want to make a book of bangers yeah it's like you know you're not going to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds right so that's what i meant by working backwards like knowing what i wanted the final product to look like in those ways indicated like okay it cut so many photos out where i i just looked at all of them was like this is all the photos i want in the book then it was like a hundred. And then when I counted them out, I was like, okay, I need to cut like half of these. 
things, basically. And that was hard and hurt. And I still look at the zine and I'm like, man, I should maybe I should have included that photo instead of this photo. But at some point, you got to just be like, that's it. That's pretty sweet, man. That is a very, very practical and analytical way to look at. I mean, I don't think I could ever put a book out now with more than 75 photos in it. Fucking Joel Myrowitz is putting in 70 on a retrospective. Funny story. Um, I, uh, I, I had been conversing with Joel's assistant earlier this year and, um, with the hopes that Joel will be on the podcast in 2022. It is, it is. Let's speak it into existence. I've already done it. If you're listening. Yeah. He's not. He's, he lives in Italy now, so I'm sure he doesn't have like you know Apple Podcasts rolling. And, but uh, it's so, that's such like a like to me like when I look at life and like when I look at like how the funny like idiosyncrasy idiosyncratic things that happen, like the fact that you mentioned Joel, the book, the fact that I'm trying to get him on the podcast, like these are like all cosmic weird things that to me oh, yeah. like just positively reinforce all the things that I'm doing. And I don't know if you feel that way, but that's just super funny to me. Um, oh yeah, everything happens for a reason. The cosmos talk to you through other people and other totally. Things. I totally sidebar. Agree. I would love to see some of the still life work that Joel's working on right now in Italy. Couldn't imagine. I heard him talk about that on the Candela Candela podcast, and I um, I have never seen Joel Merowitz do still life. I right? know it's like. It's very interesting. I just want to see. Yeah, you know, he's almost eighty, right? I think he's seventy-eight or seventy-some six years old. You know, he's not a young guy, and he's a spry old guy. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, he's very lively. I'm, I'm sure you're not like he's not living a stressful seventy-eight, right? He's in Italy. It's the dream, right? Like if I'm countryside, if I'm still life, right? If I'm seventy-eight shooting still lives in you know twenty fifty twenty seventy whatever, you know. I think life's good. Yeah. (laughs) He's doing it right. Um, But yeah, it it is interesting because it's such a stark departure from a career's worth of work. Right. It's like, I mean, if you're a photographer, you can shoot whatever the fuck you want, but like it is earned that right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Which is what I was going to say too. Like, yeah, he earned that right to be able to shoot whatever he wants at this point. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm, I'm super curious. Like, so this is your second zine zine, whatever uh, that you've completed now. Um, Is it more, just like how do you have a conversation about photo books on on a audio podcast? But so I I yeah. own I own your first zine. Is it similar contextually? Is it similarly um, more night focused? Like I, I know you've like your 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 photo style has changed significantly over like the last three to five years. So I'm like super yeah. curious, like kind of the the look and feel of what the the new book's going to be like. Yeah. So like, okay. So the first zine. Falling for Northeast, right? The first zine was my sister. My sister motivated me to make it because I was making a lot of. I didn't know where I wanted my work to go, right? I ha- I shot a bunch of urban stuff. I shot a bunch of rooftoping stuff. I shot a bunch of skylines. I shot a bunch of street photography, and I was at a point in my like photography career or journey where I had no idea what I wanted to do next right and i and i didn't want to do the stuff that i had been doing and so i at that time i got an ona bag the bowery uh which dude is, i have an ona bag 
No way. Yeah. yeah, I have a little Ona Bowery, the two the two compartment. One. I've got the oh. Ona Tufts, Ona Tukes, uh, the oh, New York. Oh, got the bigger one. I got the huge one. That's so funny, <laughs> dude. That's yeah, so, so weird. I have the tiny one. Yeah, I have the tiny. Um, so I I just brought my Leica Q everywhere. Um, I didn't bring it everywhere for a while because you know it cost me so much, and and I saved up for it, and I bought it brand new, and I I did baby it for a while for a, for a year or two. You know, I still brought it out in the snow, but I wouldn't bring it everywhere right then i got the own a bag and i was like i'm bringing this everywhere with me and so i started to go back to my roots right and so what i tell beginners a lot that are starting out in photography that are like i have no idea where i want to go what i want to do what genre i want to be in right i'm like dude if you look at something two times take try to make a cool photo of it that's that's what i tell them anything anything it like anything right not if you look at like a menu item on a menu and you look <laughs> at it twice because it looks super yummy and you're like, oh, I might get that. But like if you're walking around and you look at something twice, right, You something in your subconscious found it interesting enough to physically look at it again, to turn your head, to pay attention to it again, to have your brain focus on it, to analyze the situation visually and to read the situation, absorb it, right? Like two times, that's there, there's there's something there, right? So try your best to make a great photo of it, a good photo of it, an interesting, a cool photo of it, right? Something, come away with something you like and that you cherish and that you're proud of from that moment or scene, right? Whatever it is. And that's what I started doing. I just started bringing my camera around everywhere and taking photos of anything that I saw. And me and my sister were going on walks a bunch through this beautiful neighborhood in Minneapolis, um, in Northeast Minneapolis, which is the oldest neighborhood in the entire state, right? The first neighborhood, um, very historic houses and just beautiful. So I just walked around and took photos of the beautiful houses during the fall. I was showing those photos to my sister and she was like, these are incredible. And I was like, what? I was making photos with no judgment, with no preconceived notion, with no like inspiration. I just did that. If I looked at it twice, I tried to make a strong photo of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. obviously I'm influenced by everything I've seen by being a photographer for seven years, like by being a fine art photographer, by going to art school. Like I'm, I'm very influenced by everything I've seen and been shaped by. So that's never going to not influence me, but I tried my best to not let it influence me and just try to make a photo that I liked. That was me that wasn't affected by, Oh, this looks like this photographer or this will be strong. This will get a lot of likes because of this reason or that reason. Right. I, if I looked at it twice, I try to make a strong photo of it. She inspired me to make that zine, that zine and I put it out, not thinking anything of it. And it went, very successfully and it was humbling for me and it gave me a lot of confidence in my own artwork and i was like wow maybe i don't need to replicate people to get likes or attention or to Mm. to create strong artwork maybe i can just maybe i do have it in me like i'm just someone who can look at something and create something from my brain without trying to replicate something or be influenced by something else and just try to create something interesting from my own perspective and it will be cool and interesting um and so that was like a proof of concept for me for that. And so ever since that zine, that's what I've been doing. I haven't been judging myself. I've been taking photos of anything. Sometimes I'll be with my homies and like we'll be at a restaurant 
and we'll, we'll walk in, be walking into a restaurant, and there'll be like two like news booths, like old news stands that are like all broken up and not filled with newspapers anymore because no one reads newspapers anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and I'll try to make an interesting photo of it because I looked at it twice, and they're like, "Why are you taking a photo of that, dude?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I don't really know. I don't know if anything will come from this, right?" But I don't even know if that photo will actually be strong or if I'll even like it five minutes from now. But that's what I've been doing. And so this the growing road zine was the same thing where like I just wanted to take photos without any judgment in whatever emotional state I was in and just try to like make photos in the moment, right? As as cheesy and cliche as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Be mindful and in the moment and unaffected and unjudgmental of my thoughts and like of my judgments of myself, right? And just try to make something that I like and that I would print and I would really love if no one saw it on earth except for me. And when I create work in that way, it's like a, it's like a subconscious like manifestation of the emotional state I'm in or of who I am as a person. Because I'll show those images to people and they'll look at like the photo that I took of the newsstands. And they're like, man, this feels sad. And I'm like, man, I was so sad when I took them. <laughs> but how could they know that? Well, dude, like, it's I'm so glad you said that, dude. It's like it's crazy. I I forget what I was reading recently. It was talking about like the intentionality between taking an image and creating a photograph, right? Like everyone takes pictures a thousand times a day on their iPhones. Millions and billions and billions of po- pictures are taken. But like yeah. you as a photographer, you as a creative human being, are like imparting part of like your essence into these images because of the intentionality that you put behind creating these images. And it really struck home to me because similarly I was in Los Angeles. I took a picture of like a parking cone on the ground and I was like, wow, that was so beautiful. The way the light was hitting it. And I showed it to my, and I showed it to my cousin and he was like, dude, this is stupid. It's a parking cone on the ground. I was like, no, you don't get it. I was like, you just don't get it. I was like, you don't get it. And some people don't get it, but it's great that you do get it. And um, I'm so pumped to see this new zine. That's incredible. Um, Yeah. So it's funny because I think the way like our life, work life balance and like creative life balance like matures over time, you make like sacrifices, right? So like I have given myself like a two year runway over the course of the last two years to do nothing but chase the stream of photography. At some point, John's going to have to get a big boy job and like pay rent, right? Like I've given myself enough time to do nothing except create. And like you have yeah. to make these like practical decisions in life to like pay bills, to yeah. buy, buy groceries. Um, it's funny because like for the longest time, like I, I, I've always felt like on the cusp of taking that next step, taking that next step. And you almost feel like, well, if I go get the nine to five, I'll never take the next step. Yeah. And I think conversely, you've almost done the opposite. You've managed to take the nine to five, which is way more than nine to five. You're working 60 plus hours a week and <laughs> still managed to be wildly productive in a personal perspective. So. Yeah. I look at that as like how expectations match up to realities in life. Like the expectation of being a famous content creator is probably not realistic for every person. So like somewhere your expectations and your realities meet. So as we're like on the verge of moving into like a new year and, and like new lives for, for ourselves, 
where are your expectations and where do you think that your realities are going to meet them? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's like a big reason why I took this job is because I realized that, you know, you were saying earlier that like you were really concerned about followers and likes, et cetera. Right. And you realize it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. And it doesn't. And if your goal is to be an artist or to make money as an artist and to anyone listening as well, like you don't, you literally don't like need to have an Instagram or a following at all, right? Mm -hmm. Go, there are many other routes, right? And there are commercial routes you can take by making stuff for companies inside a company or outside of companies as a contractor for companies. And that is art, right? Maybe it's not your personal expression, exactly what you want to do, but it's also art. Um, But the other side of it too is like, what I've realized is I'd much rather have capital, liquid capital, than have Instagram followers, right? Because <laughs> Oh, why? Because you um, can't buy a gallon of milk with 20,000 Instagram followers? <laughs> well, for sure. You can't. You definitely can't pay uh, You can't pay your rent and engage me, right? I can't be like, oh, my rent's 1,000. Like, I got 1,000 likes. Can yeah. I just, you know, can, can that just cancel it out? <laughs> but uh, That's great. Yeah, so that's a big part of it. But also, like in the grand scheme of art, right? Like I want to be an artist. I don't want to be an Instagram photographer. I don't want to be a YouTuber. I don't want to be an Instagram influencer or a social media influencer. That's not my dream. Right. And, and I literally just want to create art for a living. That's all I want to do. I want to make enough or make what I'm making right now, just making artwork and having the time and the space and the freedom to be able to travel whenever I want to do whatever I want and shape myself as an artist and a hundred percent focus on developing myself as an artist without developing anything else in terms of like another career while I do it. Right. So I realized that like, you know, that, that it's such a, like everyone has their own path and journey and what's right for one person isn't what is right for everyone. Right. It's so individual. And for some people like yourself needs to quit the job to have that freedom, to give it a shot, to feel like you have the capacity to give that that dream a real shot and feel like you gave it the justice it deserves so that if you don't make it in that or you decide to go a different direction eventually, you know you gave it your all though, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, so that's extremely it's, important. It's the old but, adage of like, if you shoot for the moon and miss, you're still like amongst the stars. That's so gay. So it's so, so cheesy, but true. Because like at yeah, the end of the day, so like true. I quit my job to like pursue a creative career. And now yeah. I know two years later, I can have nothing but a creative career, literally yeah. nothing. And that might yeah. be being a X, Y, Z that is left to be seen what I do between the hours of nine to five. But like, I know that I'm not going to go sit in an office in a cubicle and, you know, punch a clock for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week. And yes, it's, it's, it's been the most, most rewarding, like growth and like understanding of who I want to be. And, you know, I was having a a conversation with a very, very young 23, 24 year old friend of mine recently. And they're like, I'm super lost. Like, I don't know what I want to do. And like, I spent all this time and money in college. And like, I just feel so like a drift in life. And I'm like, dude, I'm fucking 12 years older than you. And I feel the same way. 
Like, <laughs> do you think this is something that's going to change? No, like yeah. that's fucking life. Like yeah. they're they're like if people who who you think have it figured out don't. No. People who you think have the world's greatest lives are secretly battling demons. Like it's oh, yeah. not all the highlight reel that we see on social media. That's not what life is. Life is figuring out your path and your purpose and following it. And you're yeah. not going to know that at 20. You might not know yeah. that at 50, but you will yeah. eventually find that path and purpose. And then it's up to you to like follow it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, like for me, like, on the other side of the coin, right? Like for me, I needed to, I realized that like I gave it a real shot too, right? I gave it like six or seven years to freelance and to start a video production company or like a, you know, a, a production company basically that did photos and videos and social media management and stuff. And I gave that a real shot and I was doing that for six or seven years and I realized like I didn't want to do that. Like it wasn't, um, I, I figured out exactly what it would have taken to get to where I wanted to go in doing those things, right? By myself running my own company. And I realized that if I wanted to grow it to the point that I wanted to make the salary I wanted to make eventually, I would eventually be like an operator mm -hmm. and I would have a successful company and I'd be setting it up for acquisition because that'd be the smartest thing to do, right? Um, and so I didn't want to do that freelance like life or like start my own business life type thing. Um, and I realized that having the liquid capital is more important for me because sorry, this was so long winded. It's not why you don't need an Instagram following to be an artist is because to approach galleries with work that you've created does not require an Instagram account. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you approach curators at galleries and you submit your work to group shows and to, group exhibitions and to competitions and things like that. And you have a real job so you can buy paint if you want to be a painter and you can buy canvases and you can buy oil paint, which is expensive as shit. And like film, you can buy cameras, lenses, film, cameras, lenses, SD right? cards, you can <laughs> buy all the things necessary so that you can reach your full potential in that thing that you really want to do. Right. And give that a real shot. And I realized that for the fine art stuff, by being a broke, starving artist, I'm doing myself a disservice, especially when I have offers for good salaries where I could take that money, print some master frame 24 by 36s of my work, print 11 of them, put a show together, approach a gallery and be like, hey, I have 24 by 36, like 11, 24 by 36 framed prints, super, super, super high quality, like gig, like uh, what's, what's it called? G, G clay, G clay prints. Oh, glycial. Yeah. Yeah. Some, G Y C E L E. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, archival quality pigment, super high quality, like hand mule paper, like prints, right? Um, and I would love to put a show like in this gallery, right, and sell them for this price to this collector market, etc. And I would love to collaborate with you on that. That is way more influential and important to a gallery than having a bunch of Instagram followers, right? Sure. And so that to me, hiring an art agent, being able to print and frame work for shows, being able to just put together shows and then spend money on ad budgets for those shows, like put on my own shows, 
and collaborate with the space and be like, hey, can I hang all the pieces up? Because I learned how to do that in art school. I learned how to professionally hang artwork on the wall. Like, can I hang all my pieces and put a show in here and then basically put a bunch of social media ads out and say it's hosted at your restaurant or your coffee shop and people will come here and buy a drink first and then they'll look at my artwork, right? Did you and do they this? make a shit ton of money. What's up? Did you do this? I did this in Minnesota one time oh, nice. uh, at a shop called Wesley Andrews. Um, and I sold like 10 or 11 pieces Sick. from that. Um, and an architect bought like six of them. And how much of was, like a proof of concept was this for you? And why have you not done it again? Um, so back then I, tr so, so back then I tried to sell Wesley Andrews prints, right? So I went in there a bunch and I knew them and I designed a show for the space. So if you're trying to get into a coffee shop or a business or something, do that. Like literally sit in the space and design where on the empty spots on the wall, where the pieces would go, what distance they'd be from each other, how many pieces would be there, what colors would be in those photographs, um, if they'd be black and white or not. Whatever complements those spaces or those areas or those wall those walls or those the furniture colors inside those spaces, right? Like mm -hmm. if you design it purposefully for that space, then sell it to them that way, they'll be like, This will look amazing. Where do we sign? Right? Mm -hmm. It's already all done for them, right? So you're doing a bunch of work for them and that's where you bring them the value. So that's what I did for Wesley Andrews. I designed a show for them. And I was like, hey, I think six black and white pieces, fine art quality, because I had access to Epson Stylus Pro printers with like um, their um, whatever their their uh, HDR ink is called. I forgot what it's called. Um, but I had access to those printers from MCAD. So I printed uh, some samples, brought them in, showed it to them. I'm like, I think they would look incredible in here. And they were blown away. And instead of buying them, they paid to print all of them and frame all of them and then put them on the walls so that I could sell them. And they took a commission. And then they took a commission from the sales. Yeah. Nice. So, um, but for a while, people didn't know that the pieces were for sale because I designed the show so well, people thought that it was, they just, just lived in the place. Yeah. Yeah. They lived in the place now. Um, so we had to put up additional things on the wall to say, that in big text that said these are for sale yeah. um so yeah but uh yeah that was a good a good and bad problem to have it made me realize like okay i was really successful in designing you know in for this space in terms of your personal work now um you know you said like your first zine uh blew you away in terms of like i'm I'm assuming total dollars, total sales, et cetera. Like in terms of your personal work, do you have like a quantified metric of how you measure success? Like a dollar number, uh, uh, you know, if you sell out of your next zine, if you do a print show, et cetera, like, do you, like, how are you now quantifying success for yourself in the future now that it's yeah. not your quote unquote starving artist model? Yeah. I mean, to me, the number one success metric was something I was taught in, in art school, actually. And it's very simple and it's very reductionist as well, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, but it is something that I use. Um, so when we did critiques in art school, right? Basically, 
someone would explain the piece. What does it say? What are you trying to say? What are you trying to convey? What are you trying to get to happen in the viewer? What do you want the viewer to feel? Where do you want the viewer to look? Where do you want the viewer to look first? Where do you want them to look last? Where do you want their eye to travel in the frame, right? Very like emotional and subjective things, but also like things that break down in, and can be like quantified in terms of artistic, the art elements, right? Yeah. Like right. composition yeah. and line and shape and et cetera, right? The artist would explain what they were trying to do. Then we would all look at the work. First, we would look at the work without them saying anything, right? And we would absorb all those things. Then they would explain the work. Then we would tell them what we would absorb from the work, what we got from the work. If a lot of people in the room felt similar things, felt the same things, saw the same things, saw the same things first, saw the same things last, had their eye travel in a certain path, right? Because of visual gutters and negative space, right? Um, if everyone's eye fell off the frame because there was too much negative space and then it just fell off to the edge and nothing stopped it, right? There was no bumper, right? Your eye would just fall off because it's just a single shade onto the edge of nothing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a ramp. It becomes a visual ramp, right? So these are things that we were taught in terms of like how the eye moves and how people read things visually. Um, very similar to like a study Google did where they tracked eye movements in like pictures, right? Sure. Um, and so based on all that information and what we said and what the artists said and wanted to convey based off all that information, the artist and, and us and the artist would all deduce how successful the work was based off of how unanimous the messaging was mm -hmm. in terms of how well it re was received or how correct the intention or the messaging or the emotion or the aesthetic was conveyed or achieved. Right. Where, there's obvious aesthetic things that people would point out first and be like, wow, you use a lot of pastel shades and very like abstraction based like depictions of flowers, which is an obvious reference to Monet and Manet and it's beautiful. And it's like part of like the impressionist movement, right? And that's like obviously what you're trying to do and it's very successfully done because mm -hmm. I think it looks like almost identical to them. Right. So that would be an example of like someone trying to achieve something and then someone noticing that and then seeing that as a successful thing that they did. Right. Or someone could do it unsuccessfully as well. Mm -hmm. So my art success is kind of based on I kind of base it on that. Right. Like my first my my first reaction to it is like, do I like it and would I keep it forever and would I print it. Right. Like and would I look at it again and again. If any of those things are true, I know that. I like it and it's a strong artwork. Mm -hmm. If another person sees all those things that I intended consistently, I know that that artwork is successful to a wide audience, right? If that is only successful to people who understand or have a high literacy in art and art understanding and reading, then I know it's successful in a fine art community and that, that piece would be great in a show in a gallery, but probably wouldn't get as many likes as another piece that was more widely accepted and liked, right? And so I kind of use all the different ways that people interact with artworks in terms of how they view it, how they react to it, the messaging they receive from it, the emotions they feel from it, et cetera, the entire human process of reacting to that piece. And I use that consistency among what I want people to feel and what like they actually feel 
as like kind of like the metric if that makes any sense it's kind of it like does subjective. i was just say to me that f- it is in a highly analytical place to like view one's work and one's like success metric and i wonder if due to the depth of how you measure your work is if it all almost it like almost immunizes you from failure right because oh. if you if you're not measuring something that you're producing by dollars and cents and yeah. more so like c- contributing something that you wanted to create and it checks xyz off of a box that you wanted to it can never fail yeah that's, that's a good way of looking at it i mean that's fucking awesome i do i do fail all the time for sure <laughs> I like, mean, yeah me too yeah know, like <laughs> i think like letting go like like i do digital zines sometimes on my instagram stories and then my second page firsthand moments is kind of like i don't care like i post strong work on firsthand moments there's some strong work on there but if i like it i don't care I don't care who likes. Yeah, I stopped. I, I mean, I, I'm guilty of like craving attention, follows, likes. Like I'm guilty of that. But I post whatever the fuck I want, and I think there's plenty of reasons for lack of growth because I don't have a cohesive X Y Z and the, how the algorithm works. And blah blah blah. But I don't go fuck about that because like yeah. my work is representative of me and the the stuff that I produce. I'm producing it without. Like I, I don't put up something out because I know it's going to do well. I put something out because I love it. Right. So like yeah. that could be a picture of the empire state building, or it could be a picture that I took of my fucking Christmas tree, like whatever it might be. It's like yes. completely regardless of what the context of the image is. It's because I love it. It does something to yeah. me. I mean, I've, and, I, and the most beautiful part about that process, right? That Stephen Shore, Martin Parr, way of creating work right the ethereal subconscious like whatever you find interesting you just take a photo of it because fuck it and fuck whatever anyone thinks about it the beauty of it is that photography photographs themselves stamp themselves in time no matter what just based off of what is in the frame right so no matter what the photo that you took of the traffic cone that's not interesting will be extremely interesting in 2025 30, 50, and 100 years. I am su- to somebody, to a lot of people, actually. I'm super so. glad you brought that up because I saw like a Twitter conversation happening recently with some yeah. photographers about how a lot of documentary industry photographers are constantly drawn to like old world clothing, old world dress, like guys in fedoras, uh, fancy suits, women in fancy old school style dresses and stuff. And there's something yeah. about that look and feel that nostalgic look and feel about documenting life that street and documentary photographers are drawn to. And the question posed by this person was, are photographers who do street documentary doing a disservice to the history of our generation? Because we are, yeah. Isn't that interesting? I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. Dude, I, I literally brought this up like, three months ago with my Houston homies and we were walking around and um, same thing happened. Some dude popped out with like um, some fancy cowboy hat and they all just ran up, you know, up to him cause he looked timeless, right? White t-shirt, like uh, blue jeans, cowboy boots and a cowboy hat, like straight out of Texas. Right. And um, he could have been anyone from 19, from whatever Levi's made jeans all yeah. the way till now. Right. Especially if it was in black and white. But I was like, man, like, 
you guys got to take more photos of just people living life modernly, right? Like imagine in a hundred, like I told them all, like the way, the methodology that we use right now to consume media on the go will not be the future. No, I keep telling people that. I've been telling people that for years. Apple even recently admitted they are not going to produce the iPhone in 10 years. Oh, yeah. 10 years. Yeah. That means that glasses, watches, headphones, augmented reality, other input devices and wearable technology will be at an efficiency rate, a higher efficiency rate than what we're using right now in terms of consuming media on our phones with our necks bent over <laughs> and fucking hunched over like hunchbacks, you know? Wonk, so, wonky pinky, pinky fingers from support. Yeah. yeah. If you only took photos of everyone hunched over on their phones for like the next 10, 20 years, you would have, you would be such a famous street photographer <laughs> in like 50, right? I, I do, I do find myself drawn a lot to people down. The hunch. Yeah. I, I'm drawn to that. There, there's a couple things that like I find myself when I'm on the street drawn to. Couples holding hands. Like I'm big, big, big on holding hands, and I like to get abstract images. Yeah, abstract images of hand holding, not like full frame, like just hands, shadow of hands, like just like not the full picture. Where you um, put the camera up to the hands and like. Yeah, I'm super into that, and and also drawn to people being. Like just so like I I rode the subway for years, so I was constantly taking pictures of people sitting down, standing up on their phones and shit. And uh, yeah, yeah, I just thought that was super interesting to see like how we as you know the documentarians of our generation are drawn to a visual that is not inherently like lived within our generation. It was very very yeah. interesting. And I um, think like what I was saying earlier is like. You know, there's there's things that people look at, right, as photographers, and they're like, I'm not taking a photo of that. Why do they think that right away? Because they think that thing is so uninteresting that there's no way that that photo is going to be good or I'm going to like it. Like, why would I even try? Why would I even take that photo, right? Mm -hmm. It's not worth my time, right? But what if you tried, right? What if you tried to create only beautiful, gorgeous photos of people hunched over in their phone, like ugly reading it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like the, the biggest uh, benefit to my art that I have uncovered over the last year and a half was that I've now started producing the things that I want to produce and not things that I think other people want to see. Like I'm yeah. now coming to my art from a creative perspective versus a desire to be liked perspective and it has made yeah. a marked difference in the things that I produce. Yeah, like Alex Soth, right? Alex Soth is one of my favorite photographers ever. And one thing that he said in his master class that I recently heard another photographer talk about is when he starts a project, he starts it from the end and then goes backwards. But his ending is what are the questions I'm answering? Ooh. And sometimes those questions are obvious and informational and direct and they make sense, right? They're rooted in common sense and they're like, okay, like, you know, how far, like, how far does the river go? It's like, okay, he's going to take photos from one point in the river and go all the way to the end of the river, right? That's the question he's answering, right? He's going to show you visually how far the whole journey and then how far the river goes, the ending, right? Um, but they can be ethereal questions as well. Um, 
or they can answer a statement, right? So like one one book he did is called I Know How Furiously Your Heart Is Beating. I Know How Furiously Your Heart Is Beating. That sentence in itself, furious, to use that word in the sentence of love, mm. right? It's beating. Beating can be beautiful because it's a heart and it, it's what keeps us alive when it's beating. But beating can be negative and it can be rooted in domestic violence, right? And there can be other negative connotations for that statement or that word, right? And so in that book, it's filled with these rough looking couples from random places in scattered all over the United States. He used the Diane Arbus methodology of throwing the dart on the map and then just going to wherever it landed in the United States and trying to find an interesting couple and take a photograph of them with his large format camera. And man, do you feel crazy things in that work just looking at these people. Like, and you feel just like their relationship and maybe you're misjudging them based off of their physical appearance and assuming aspects of their relationship based off of tendencies or stereotypes you have of people that fit that physical criteria or that fashion criteria, right? But like, it's that that juxtaposition, that thought process, even wondering that you're you're asking yourself and trying to answer so many questions in your own brain, looking at photographs of couples, and he's intentionally making you do that process because that's the entire intention of the project right is Dude, to that, i mean that is so heavy and beautiful in so many ways and it just makes me feel like you know how do you get to that place as a as like an artist like i, I like i feel so woefully in a, in insufficient to get to my to get to my personal place that i can like have that much to say like I know inherently in myself, I have the the uh, you know the the breath and the ability to say these things, but because my life is not like centered around like whatever he was going through to come up with this concept and this, yeah. Let me let me put this out there though. This is the craziest part about Alex Soth. Alex Soth breaks my thing that I said earlier that you need to struggle and go through pain to be a great artist and make <laughs> great art. Alex Soth comes from Minnesota. He had an awesome childhood. He had great high school friends. He had great family. He had great parents. He didn't really necessarily feel to him. He said this, that he hasn't really felt like he's gone through anything really that traumatic or crazy, right? Like everyone has childhood trauma. Everyone yeah. has shit they deal with. Everyone has personal issues, self-esteem issues, right? Insecurities. These are all human emotions that every human feels on the entire earth, right? But he's human, right? But he never felt like he was that like broken artist that, and that's what gave him this um, ability, right? Yeah. And so what he kind of revealed to me is, and that's kind of why, sorry, that's kind of why he seeks out this kind of work. And he, and he puts himself in such crazy, uncomfortable situations that ma that not many people would, right? Not many people would travel the entire Mississippi river and just walk up to houses and knock on doors and ask to take a photo of somebody with a large format camera, right? He did that sleeping by the Mississippi. That's what that project is. Insane. Same right, with this, yeah. like, I know how furiously your heart is beating, like to throw a dart on the map, go there, stay there, find a hotel, walk around all the local spots and just try to find somebody, a couple, right? That that feels like this project, right? It's just like, 
an insane process. But um, sorry, I don't know what I was saying right before that. My bad. I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> you were talking about like I was talking about how I could get to that place as like a creative. And, oh, okay, like, yeah. yeah. So what he kind of revealed is like. You don't have to be there to. You don't have to be that. You don't have to have something inside of you. You can find it elsewhere, right? If you're not that interesting, if you haven't gone through that much stuff, if you don't feel that way about yourself, right? Like I'm some crazy artist that's struggled and gone through crazy shit and done all these drugs and I'm that way, right? But like if you're not that way, you can find – you can seek that out. And And the thing that made me grow the most and the thing that made me – wise and like mentally strong and and well-rounded and interesting wasn't just all the stuff I went through it was all the people I met along the way I've had so many random conversations with people I've met so many I've been in so many different situations thousands and thousands of people I've met in my life like and put myself in those situations right Alex Soth when he talked about that project and when he talks about like just knocking on a stranger's door and meeting them that will change you. You will be surprised how much that will make you think mm-hmm. and make you think differently and make you think more. And what Alec kind of explained is like really creating intentional intentionality in your projects is a lot about self-development and finding yourself and who you are. But it's also about finding like what you want to say about humanity, what you want to say about anything, right? Just what you want to say in general Um, and it just comes from thought, like, and that is the thing that no one wants to hear (laughs) when they start this journey is you just have to think more and give it more time and all of this will click. You will have, if you spend enough time thinking about it, John, because of your level of intelligence, you will reach that level of thought of anyone that you look up to that thinks that way about their projects, right? Like you just have to learn and think and learn and think and learn and think about that process. I, I, I completely agree with you. I like, I know like in, in just in terms of like the inherent growth that I have experienced over the last year, two years of COVID, just like life in general, like the emotional intelligence that I have created for myself over the course of the last two years has built a place for me to like be a much more empathetic human being to other people's like experiences in life. And I have now somehow been able to like take that emotional intelligence and relay that into my work like i yes. can now have superpower the, yeah yes yeah no because like i i've like you know i was i was talking to my brother about this like six or so months ago i was like you know i'm having i'm struggling with telling the story that i want to tell like the purpose of the things that i'm trying to tell and he, you know, he's not in arts. He's, you know, a finance person. He's not like, he's not like, uh, he's creative in that he can write and stuff. And like, he's like very, uh, articulate, but like we, he didn't know how to like relate to that. Right. And then it's funny how much I've been able to like learn over the course of a six year, six month period to like learn the thing that I felt deficient in. And it, it, it's been super rewarding. 
Um, and like and eye opening too, right? Completely eye opening. And, and like, it's yeah. like, man, I feel stupid that I thought I couldn't be super knowledgeable about that thing. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I think you know the, the 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 thing that I keep coming back to is like you know there is so much commonality amongst human beings in terms of like our feelings of inadequacies and our feelings that we can't do things. And like, yeah. if the one thing, the one takeaway that anyone listening to this podcast can get is like, there is no timeline for you to do anything in your life. The nope. only time constraint that you have to do something in your life is your death. And God oh, yeah. willing, it's very, very far into the future and you don't have to worry I'm, anything about that. I'm 29 years old and this is my first corporate job. It's amazing. God bless Ever. you. I'm 30 you know, so. I'm 36 and I've had a million of them and <laughs> and and truthfully like the, from a from a pragmatic perspective the last 2 years of being on my own not chasing dollar signs has been the most rewarding 2 years of my entire life. There yeah. is going to be like practical like life experiences that need to happen along with like personal growth. Like me being yeah. zen and happy as fuck doesn't buy bananas there are practical things that need to take but place what i realized recently that like really gave me motivation is like i've reached a, a really good point of zen in in my own personal like emotional development and mental health right and like i've been going to therapy and, and working on self-help books and like conquering my mental illnesses one by one and i've realized that they, none of them were as bad as I thought they were. I'm going to be able to conquer them much faster than I thought I was going to be able to before I went to therapy and seek professional help. And what I realize now is like when I think about starting a new crazy huge idea or project, I don't have that pit in my stomach feeling anymore that I might fail or I might not do it justice or I might not reach its full potential because of my depression, because of my anxiety, because of my BPD, because of, you know, I'm like, no, I had that in check. So I can actually give my full self without that affecting me to this thing. I think like, that's amazing. That. You know, it's funny because I don't struggle with that at all. Like my, like uh, I recently put out a podcast episode that was called happy and discontent. It was basically like, I am perfectly happy with my everyday life, my everyday existence, but I'm discontent in terms of like my productivity, the amount of work that I'm producing, like all these things that like, if you told me two years ago, I would be doing, I'd be like, <laughs> holy shit, that's fucking awesome. And I think, yeah. I think there, there is always going to be that line of like, I'm not good enough or I am definitely good enough. It's just not happening at the speed than I want like these are just like so rational normal things for people to be thinking and feeling that like everyone feels this way for sure yeah and like the other thing is like researching the timelines of these other people too can be hurtful but it can also be super helpful because you find a lot of artists that are like oh wow he didn't really even have a first group show he didn't even get into a like a group show so like 15 years into creating fine art photography right mm -hmm. and you're like okay cool well so then let me give it 15 years of really hard work. And then if I don't make it, I'll accept it. I suck. I'm yeah. not good enough. You know, I'm not, it's never going to happen for me. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I, I, I don't feel that way at all. It's funny because like I could, I could never be in a quote unquote famous gallery. I could never be shooting like something that's prestigious. I could never do those things. And I will always feel comfortable and confident in what I've done. That's I, awesome. I don't, I don't, I'm trying to get there still. <laughs> yeah, dude. I like. I just understand that. Like, 
the fact that I'm able to do the thing that I want to do is in and of itself pay, paying me dividends in ways that I, I couldn't, I can't articulate. Like I don't need, I, understand. I don't need, yeah. I would love, love like the imposter in me would love that, ex, you know, that exterior validation of my work. Like I would love yeah. that, but I don't need it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hit, I talk hit, to people hit 30, hit 35. Like it's more practical at, at that yeah. level <laughs> at that timeline. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, I talk to people like all the time about what I do. And like, even people within my company are like, man, he has the cool job. He has the coolest job, man. Like you got the dream gig. Like you play with toys all day and shoot. And I'm like, yeah, pretty much. And like, I don't really have a nine to five necessarily. Cause I'm constantly shooting something like when I'm shooting, I don't necessarily feel like I'm sitting in a cubicle working no, i'm no. just like doing what i like to do you know mm-hmm. um and so yeah it's it's i feel blessed in that and and i de- it's definitely helping me accept that like you know i may never make it as a actual fine art artist right or like uh you know my dreams might never come true when it comes to that and like i know that and i've accepted that but i, th- I think i'm still trying to accept that the other parts of it i think you touch i think you're, i think you're wrong <laughs> just if only that you've already done it. You've already created the work. You've already produced Feel it. That. You've already done it. So it's like to think that you may somehow not do it is ignoring the fact that you have already done it. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. I appreciate that. No problem. Yeah. I seek, I seek stupid validation. So yeah. we're all looking, <laughs> we're all looking for it somewhere, man. This is the life yeah. of a creative. <laughs> right. Dude, uh, I am uh, so immensely thankful uh, that we were able to link up again. And a year later, I'm so absolutely proud and astonished at all the things that you've accomplished in the last year. And like, I'm super glad that you're my friend. And I'm, I'm super, super, super into all of the growth that you've experienced over the last year. And I'm, I'm so excited to see what the future holds. And uh, I'm just wishing you the, the happiest and the healthiest and the most amazing 2022 that you can you can ask for. Really appreciate it, John. I always love coming on here. I was on here a little bit longer this time, I think. But uh, so if you made it this far in, you know, props to your attention span because <laughs> it's not normal and it's way above the average. So, um, but yeah, I wish you the best, John. It's always a pleasure talking to you and I'm honored to, to have you as a friend and to call you my friend and to have another emotionally intelligent, hyper intelligent individual to talk to is honestly an honor and it's something that I love to fill my life with. So I, I, I thank you for being a part of that, my, uh, of my life, basically. <laughs> Dude, thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate it. Have a great night. Take care. Be well. You too, man. <laughs>